Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan show. Now, we heard in the news today the shocking figure that up to 130 highly vulnerable children are in unsuitable and unapproved accommodation like bed and breakfasts and holiday centres. Now, this is according to the latest report from the Child Law Project. Uh, These children end up in situations like this for a variety of reasons, by the way, including parental mental health, addiction and violence. Now, as it seems to be the way these days, there is now a fear that there will be claim against the state because of the unsuitability of the accommodation. Earlier this month, we heard that the state is facing 39 high court claims for damages from asylum seekers over being left homeless when they arrived in Ireland. And we asked then at the time, uh, should homeless Irish people be able to take the same claim for not having housing provided for them? Uh, We got a mixed response to that particular question at the time. But this is a different one. And this involves very vulnerable children. And I think we should all agree uh, that the state should owe such children suitable accommodation. Here to tell us more is the CEO of the Child Law Project, Dr. Maria Corbin. She joins us on the line. Maria, how are you? Good, thank you. Yes. Um, Maria, this is quite a shocking report. And I know a letter written in May by Judge Dermot Sims, uh, who has since retired, uh, included the latest volume of reports published on Monday by the Child Law Project, which he said the state needs to do something about this. Are, are we kind of facing another mother and baby home, Magdalene Laundry situation in maybe 10, 20 years' time? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think when, whenever you're dealing with vulnerable people, children, adults, um, we have to be very clear what the state is responsible for and whether they're carrying out those duties. So at the moment in this area of children who are being brought into the care of the state, um, there are very clear um, laws and statutes and standards and inspection regimes. And what we're concerned about today, among, among other things, is that for some children, they are not being provided with a care placement that falls under the standards and the inspection regime as they should. And there's a, there's a reason for that, but I suppose that's, that's the bit that, we, that, that there is a concern about that is, the, is perhaps one where you could see potential there could be litigation in the future. So that, that's mm. what, what was being highlighted today. So I mean, the, the, the circumstances these children... Sorry, the circumstances that these children derive from, many would obviously be coming in as asylum seekers or, or children of asylum seekers. Many would be Irish as well. Or many would be from families with alcoholism or mental health problems or whatever it happens to be. And there is no doubt the ideal situation for a child is to be with his parents in a nice home, you know, in a functional family. That's not sadly always the case and it's never always going to be the case. I mean, for years we've children in and out of foster homes all across Ireland. Um, so, I mean, is it almost sometimes impossible to get the perfect solution or the best solution for a child? Yeah, I mean, it is a challenge, but actually we see lots of good placements and good outcomes for children in care. And they're the ones that we don't hear about. They're the ones that are just 90% of children in care and there's about 5,500 children in care. 90% of them are in foster families and about a quarter of those foster families are actually relatives. They might be an aunt or grandparent that's the foster providing the fostering service. And a lot of those children do very well. And we've one example in our cases today of where the, the, the child has been fostered by a relative, but the mother also was, was living in the same house and had been able to go back to education. So there were supports put in there rather than taking the child completely out of the family environment. Mm-hmm. But those that, that good news story is kind of juxtaposed by lots of other difficult stories. And we've published um, 60, 66 um, cases today, as well as the judge's letter. And of those, 
four of them relate to unaccompanied minors. So these are separated children seeking asylum. So they are part of the care system and we do see them, but actually we don't see that many of them in the courts. The majority of cases we see are of children whose parents, for whatever reason, cannot parent them. And those reasons are generally linked to parental addiction, parental mental health, um, domestic violence. So those, mm. they, are, they are the cases that really take up the bulk of the court time. In relation to what the judge also, he warned in the court that Tuss, the Child and Family Agency, are facing an unprecedented crisis. Now, there's another ongoing investigation in relation to Tuss, and that was the report that was in the Irish Times uh, almost three weeks ago in relation to teenagers um, and, you know, the the... the unsuitability of their situation and in some cases um, some of them leaving the uh, agency or leaving wherever the, the accommodation was to perform sexual acts in return for reward yeah. and now that has been investigated currently and only of record said they're investigating that and that we have to see the, the end report of that investigation but in relation to Tusla itself I mean they're already challenged they're already under severe pressure so how are they going to deal with this? Is it a case of having to set up another agency or an independent agency to try and sort this one out? Uh, I, I would the approach that, that I would take at the moment in terms of what our, our, our message today is that Tusla has been quite clear that they are unable to meet the demand for placements, um, and part of the solution to that, other than more social workers, more foster carers, more residential placements, is actually better services for children. Because a key point of uh, other than the, the parents who are unable to parent the children, there's another cohort and there's a growing cohort cohort of children coming into care. They're coming in because of their own um, behavioural, emotional difficulties, self-harming, mental health. And a lot of those children are, have, have disabilities and, and needs that are being unaddressed. So rather than setting up a new agency or moving children around, I really think that TUSA has the statutory responsibility to care for children, but it needs the services of the HSE. So the disability, the mental health and the addiction services are really lacking. And that is creating a situation whereby children are in care, but they don't have the services they need. And that's leading to placement breakdowns Mm -hmm. and creating a, a churn within the system that really I think we can get on top of. Um, but it, it is of note that the judge, Judge Dermot Sims, who wrote this letter two, two months ago, putting down his concerns on paper. There's also in the volume of cases that we published a number of cases whereby the judge was unhappy with the case, criticised the officials involved, whether it would be Tusla or the HSE or whoever else um, was involved, and, and asked for the case to be brought back so they could check what was what the officials said they do, did it happen, mm-hmm. you know, bringing the case back. Um, and also uh, sending cases to the Ombudsman for Children for review or to HICRA, which is which inspects a lot of these placements. So I think you can see there that the judges are playing quite an active role in trying to, um, uh, in a way, support mm. the children, support the families and keep an eye on the station. And, and, I, I was going to say, because they know what's coming down the tracks if we don't get our handle on this, because yeah. they're the ones who'll be sitting behind the bench when somebody's putting a claim in in 10 years' time or, or looking for the state yeah. to compensate them for the damage they've done to them. Because clearly to be in a, yeah. an unsuitable situation is going to do irreparable damage. I mean, when you look at, say, the amount of children going into care currently at the moment, and you would have a better handle on this than I do, you mentioned some figures there mm. a few minutes ago, Is there a big difference now than there was, say, 10 years ago? Are we seeing a rise in the number of children going into care? Or is that figure reasonably stable all the time? It had been stable for quite a while, but it's actually gone down. So, 
used to be up around 6,000. Now it's 5,500. Okay. And I'm not sure why that's happening. It could be that we're putting in better family supports and children are staying at home. There's, okay. There's new well, that's not a bad thing. It. Or it, or it could be it could be that we're not bringing enough children in. So I, I don't ha- I don't have an answer for that one. Well, no, that, well, I mean that sounds like a good thing. Yeah, considering we've had an increase in population in the last ten years by a substantial yeah. amount, that's probably not a bad thing that we're seeing a decline. So it means we must be doing something right. We're not getting it one hundred percent right. Yeah. Clearly, I mean when we talk about the age of these children, what is what's the average age of children that you believe are in an unsuitable accommodation? It really varies. I mean, unfortunately, um, there, there are quite young children that we have seen in going through the courts. Um, the, the judge in his letter mentioned a six-year-old being placed wow. in a residential yeah. placement. Uh, we followed a case of a nine-year-old boy moved from Dublin to the northwest and then down to the southeast in an unplanned move at the age of nine in a residential unit with staff. So they would be... Unfortunately, we're seeing more and more under 12s going into residential care, which is not good practice. And again, I think those children are stressed. They need services. But in terms of across the whole care system, there's a real range. And unfortunately, in, 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 in in the cases that we have published, there's quite a few newborns coming into care, you know, right. when the decision is made at that very initial stage, um, at the point initially in the maternity ward at that stage or shortly afterwards. But otherwise it goes right up and there has been an increase of teenagers going into care as well. And I think some of this is linked to COVID and it's linked to children's experience during COVID and the distress now that they're presenting with. I mean, the, the children themselves, you know, I'm assuming they're living in hotel rooms, et cetera, et cetera, uh, or B&Bs or, or I mentions as well, you know, some of these ex-holiday centres, et cetera, et cetera. So are they being educated? Are they going to school? Yeah, so this 130 children that are in these, they're called special emergency arrangements. This is where there isn't an approved place, so they put them into a, effectively kind of an ad hoc arrangement. It really varies. I mean, some of the some of the messages that we're getting back through these court cases, you would be concerned that they're not being linked in to education or that they're so disturbed by the moves and the change and the instability that it's hard for them to connect, you know, with, with education. Um, and even more, I mean, obviously, education is very important as a constitutional right, but even more concerning from our perspective is that if you are engaging in therapeutic um, services, they won't engage with the child unless the child is in a stable placement. Okay. So these most vulnerable children who are in these temporary placements where they're dealing with staff that they don't know, they don't have a long-term plan where they are, the therapeutic services won't begin work with them. So you're really putting... Well, I can, their, I can understand that. But yeah, I can understand that because yeah. they're going to be in one place and then they, you start work and then maybe get two sessions and all of a sudden they're being moved to somewhere else and have to move yeah. to somebody else. So yeah. I can understand why they may not want to do that. But also, I mean, what happens to, say, teenagers when they're 18 years of age? Is that it? Are they on their own then? Is, is that the way it works? Or is there any services for them then? Yeah, I mean, so the, 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 the children, even if, if they're in these special emergency placements, they're still technically in care. So if you're in care for a year, then you can qualify for aftercare services, roughly. There's a criteria for qualifying. Um, and aftercare services are effectively um, an, ex- a, 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 an extension of supports in terms of um, a, a, an aftercare worker and potentially support if you're uh, continuing with education. There is a lot of concern around not the fact that the aftercare support wouldn't be there, but where will children live? So if they are, to, if they they used to traditionally, uh, care leavers would go into the private rental system, 
and they would be supported to cover their rent. And they'd be, you know, you're effectively trying mm. to get the young person into, into independent living. But I think there's a real concern now as to if you're 18 and you're coming out of care, where are you going to find somewhere to rent? So I do think part of this, this, you know, kind of taking stock at the moment of the care system is thinking, what's going to happen next for some of these? Uh, do we ever do we ever do follow ups? Do we? I mean, do we do a follow up? Is there a service where they look at, say, you know, a hundred of these children that reached the age of eighteen, went out in the big bad world to see how they got on? Were they successful? Did they get a job? Did they find a partner? Did they settle down? Did yeah. they get a home? Do we ever do a, kind of a follow up to see how they get on? There's actually a. <laughs> Excuse me, there's actually a piece of research under being planned at the moment by the Department of Children to look at the outcomes for children. Mm-hmm. But actually, I did a piece of work 20 years ago with with Focus Ireland looking at the outcomes for children. And, and at that point, there, you know, there was unfortunately a lot of children going into homeless services or going into, into prison. Yeah. But since then, we put in place these, you know, to be fair, the government put in place very good aftercare support, put in a statutory right. But the difficulty now is that we need to make sure that we, we hold that, that we address the accommodation issue, and also that we recognise that some of these children, by the time they're reaching 18, they've missed out on a lot of education, they, their family relationships are just disrupted, and they still need a lot of therapeutic intervention. So they need really continued engagement by the state um, for, for a good couple of years. And there has been an extension. There has been calls to extend care for a couple of years into into somebody's early 20s um, and I think you know we, we just need to recognise that when people are vulnerable and they have needs that whether they're a child whether they're 18 or whether they're a day over 18 the state it is in everybody's best interest that the state engages with them because otherwise we're just seeing them in the adult homeless services adult mental health services they don't you know they don't magically disappear they're part of our communities and we need to we need to ensure that the supports are there for them. In the opposite way, are, are we... <laughs> pardon, I hope you're okay. Sorry, do you want to get, get a I'm glass sorry, of I'm water? <laughs> I know that feeling. I get it in the studio all the time with the air conditioning. Um, in relation to the opposite effect, I suppose, you know, Ireland is always considered to be a little bit soft when it comes to, you know... Uh, uh, sort of reuniting children with their parents and we've seen many cases in the UK where UK families or well UK mothers and fathers have come to Ireland to have their children because they may have a criminal record in the UK and the children will be taken off and they may have a drug habit in England and the children will be taken off them whereas in Ireland we're a little bit softer in relation to that and I'm, I watched a documentary going back a couple of years ago where there was two parents who were both drug users and had a child they were incapable of looking after themselves never mind the child and I found it very difficult to watch the particular documentary and now I know they were getting services etc etc but still I felt so sorry for the child um, but we, we seem to as a last resort take a child away from a parent is that because we lack the resources to look after the child ourselves so it's the kind of last option um, so uh, so it's in, it's in in general taking a child into care should be a, la- a measure of last resort and then it should be proportionate so you should only intervene by taking a child into care if you put in place other supports now that's the ideal and that's mm. the principle so I think you know there are uh, there are um, you know there are good family services in some parts of the country, um, and I think we need to to learn from that. 
and keep investing. I, in I, I suppose, sorry, Marie, afraid of the point I'm trying to make is do we leave children in unsuitable situations with oh, dysfunctional parents? Yes. No, I, I understand how you would make that mistake. Yes. But an unsuitable yes. situation with dysfunctional parents because we don't have the space for them and we don't have the resources to look after them ourselves or to foster them out or, or, mm-hmm. or yeah, put them into a state institution. In other words, is it a last resort yes. for that reason? More And children are in a more vulnerable situation sometimes when they're with dysfunctional parents. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we don't have any evidence for that, but certainly in some of the cases we would see the children come into care and at the point they come into care, they are already very damaged by their early childhood experiences right. and the traumas they've experienced. So you would ask, really, could we not have intervened earlier? And, and really, that's, a, that's it's, it's, a, it's for somebody else to look at because it's really it's looking at was a referral made if not, why wasn't a referral made? We did do some some work earlier, and you know there was a group of, of children who who brought, came into care quite late, and there was question marks in our minds around: Did the school not make a referral? You know, yeah. why, why were these children? Yeah, the school is know, usually the first point of contact. They, in the end, the school teachers noticed things. Really important. Yeah. Early years, the crash is really important. So, um, definitely, and then. If the referral is made, because Tusla is at the moment receiving an enormous amount of referrals, does Tusla have the capacity to to engage with them, to investigate them, to follow up? And then there is there is always a concern that if we don't have sufficient placements, which is where we started the conversation, then there will be mm-hmm. um, even subconscious pressure to not ta- not to initiate taking childhood care if we know we don't have a placement for them. So I think that is a real concern, and it is something that. HICWA, the Health Information uh, uh, Quality Authority, did raise is that we need to be very careful that we that we do have enough flexibility that if it is needed and it is in the best That's what I'm saying. Society, we should have we those spaces use. available, yes. Exactly. Because I, I, yeah. I watched a documentary about the United States and, and in some states, I don't know if it's in all states, if you're, say, a drug user and you have a baby, the child is taken into care until you can prove you're six months off the drugs or six weeks or whatever it is. Whereas in Ireland, I don't think that's the case. Uh, and, and it just concerns me that children are being brought into or raised in those situations who are destined, sadly, for a, a life, you know, that wouldn't be uh, as good as it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, I think we've got a lot more learning and a lot, a lot more to do, you know. Mm, yeah, um, and yeah. I mean, the role, of, the role of the foster carers, the social workers and all of the other... Uh, kind of community people who are engaged, public health nurses, they play such a critical role to understand what is really going on in families and, and what and how the child is experiencing um, their life, you know, because it, it, it is it is really, uh, it is a community effort in terms of child safeguarding. Finally, just in relation to Tusla, um, you know, they have come under a lot of criticism over the last few years for different reasons. Um, but are they spending the money well, I suppose? That, you know, I know that's probably more of a HSE issue. But are they spending the money well, do you think? And are they using the resources they have properly? Or do you think it can be vastly improved? Um, I certainly think in the area of residential care, at the moment, I think nobody is happy with the, with this situation, which is that we're spending a lot of money on these emergency arrangements, which are not ideal. They're not they're not what you would plan if you were planning it for a child. Um, so this is where a child is placed in a hotel or an apartment uh, with staff. And they may be the only child in that placement. So that, as, as, a, as a, if you were planning a system, that's not a great use of money. They're often being paid to private profit-making providers to set up that arrangement. Um, and I think there really is a need for a greater strengthening of Tusla's own ser- residential services and also the community and voluntary sector services, because those services 
can be run at a lower cost than the private profit-making mm. services. So I think that, as a matter of principle, I think we need to we need to look at that. But at the moment, you know, we need to ensure that the 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 child is the, the placements are being put in place and to bring to 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 decrease the use of emergency placements because, as I said at the outset, they are not covered by inspections. They're not. Mm-hmm. Um, covered by national standards. So we can't have, effectively, two systems in operation. Okay, well, look, it has been a very interesting conversation and I hope we don't get to a point where children are suing the state because they've been so badly treated in the in the system. No matter where they happen to be from or who they happen to be belong to, they should be treated with dignity and respect. Listen, thank you very much indeed, yeah. and I appreciate you coming on the air, Dr. Maria Cor. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio, the multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show.